My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. What are the benefits to getting out of debt and staying out of debt? Today on the show, we talk with Steve Stewart from Money Plan SOS, and he shares his story of being a normal guy who decided to get out of debt, got out of debt, and shares with us some of the options that that opened up to him in his life. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being here. This is the show where we talk about financial independence each and every day. Try to give you the tools and ideas and strategies that you need to build your financial independence and then walk with you, encouraging you daily as you do the work that's necessary to build financial independence for yourself and your family. Today, I invite Steve Stewart on to talk about the work that he has done in his life and how that has benefited him and his family. Steve is the founder of the podcast and website Money Plan SOS, where he specifically focuses primarily on helping people get out of debt. He's a budget coach. He's a financial coach. We met originally at, I think it was FinCon, maybe, something like that, uh, a year ago, Uh, just Maybe we even connected before that. I don't remember specifically. But what impressed me about Steve is his consistency of work and his consistency of message. And I'm hoping that you'll get a couple of things from this interview, which is why I've invited him on. Number one, uh, Steve is just a normal American guy, just a normal guy. Uh, But I want you to hear the impact that focusing on his financial plan and working his way out of debt has made on his ability to get closer and closer toward his dreams. He really has a really neat story. And I love his story because it's very accessible. Uh, Oftentimes, I feel like gurus that come along and want to tell you their story about how they're making millions and millions of dollars a month are simply not very accessible. Uh, At least they're not to me. Maybe they are to you. But to me, oftentimes, I find more uh, encouragement and hope from talking with people who are similar to me. Uh, Additionally, I want you to pay attention, those of you who are are interested in financial planning and financial coaching, I want you to pay attention to some of Steve's wins and learnings in his own personal journey as a financial coach. Uh, Steve really has a heart to help people and to coach people uh, with their finances, and he's worked hard at that. And yet I also want to hear you to hear the challenge that that has been to make a business out of that, because I know many of you are working on that same, uh, on that same path. Here we go. Let's go. Steve, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being with me. Mr. Radical PF, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is your second appearance on the show. <laughs> yeah, it seems like I keep making events happen and, and opportunities come up when I take action with you. It seems like it gets me on your show. Well, exposure creates <laughs> opportunity, right? So There you go. I've been wanting to have you on to talk about debtlessness and debt freedom and the path out of debt. 
Uh, you're a, a you have a pretty cool story. Just kind of a normal guy who got encouraged to uh, chart out your own path towards debt freedom. And I've been wanting to discuss this this episode on the show, but I just hadn't gotten around to it yet. So I'd love. Last time we talked a lot about Dave Ramsey, but we didn't even go much into your story. I'd love it if you'd kick us off with a little bit of a background on your story, especially as it pertains to money. Sure. I really wasn't that great with money. I wasn't horrible with money either. Uh, I I grew up normal livelihood, suburbs of a Chicago area, working retail, uh, got married in 2000. And uh, my wife and I moved into a house and, you know, we had house debt. We had car debt. We had some credit card debt, nothing that we couldn't really take care of. Most of the time it was paid off every month, but it wasn't until about 2004, I think, is when I started to realize that a lot of the information I've been hearing about how money really works was wrong or it was confusing. You know, you get a bit a bit of advice from this person and a bit of advice from that person. And, you know, you got a friend over here who says this is the best way to go. And there's a hot stock over here. And it really, it just, it, it's kind of like, you know, you're running around saying squirrel with your money all the time. Give me an example of something that you later discovered was wrong. Later, I discovered that uh, buying single stocks wasn't for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't lose much money, but I certainly didn't make money because I didn't know what I was doing. It was very inefficient. It was a great learning experience. So I guess you could say that was a, uh, you know, a, a pay, you know, payment to education of my own. What got you into that? Because very few U.S. Americans actually own single stocks ever. It was th- my story is very boring. Your your audience is going to tune out very soon. It's very very simple and very boring. Uh, after nine eleven, my wife and I were like, you know what? We know that the, the market's going down, and it wasn't a market decision, but we decided we were going to show those terrorists, we were going to invest in the stock market. You know, here we are, we're just doing a little bit here and there in our 401ks. We thought, well, we got to get into investing in stocks, right? So we, you know, we looked at a couple of things, and I thought, okay, we live in St. Louis. I've always been a very, very big fan of Boeing. Mm-hmm. Boeing, we knew, would have a future. Boeing is down because the market's down. Let's buy some Boeing. Mm-hmm. We committed a dollar amount to invest. And it was $500. So we bought $500 worth of Boeing stock. We Good got you. 12 shares. And what I didn't realize what was the, uh, the Daytech account that I opened up. Daytech was then bought by Ameritrade and then Ameritrade merged with TD Ameritrade, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. I, 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 we were out of it before then. Anyway, I didn't realize that there was going to be a monthly maintenance fee on that. So this 12 shares of stocks was costing us like, I don't know if it was 8 bucks a month or 9 bucks a month. There was no... <laughs> There's no value in that. We were, you know, we were thinking about buy and hold, you know, buy the stock, hold it, let it go up. And, you know, we held on to it for a while. And finally, I was like, you know what? This is just getting too expensive. We're not getting any value out of it. We've got two options. We sell the stock or we pay to have a stock certificate printed. And it was 75 bucks. And I thought, okay, let's do it. So we, we spent another 75 bucks on these 12 shares of stock <laughs> to actually have the paper certificate in our hands. And I held on to that for years. And I'll tell you, uh, there's a lot of education coming from this one little, I don't even want to call it experiment. Yes, we saw the market go up and down, but what I really lost in that deal more than anything was the time that I spent looking at Boeing all the time. What, if I was buy and hold, what did it matter? what the price was that day. What did it matter what the market did that month? It didn't matter because we weren't selling. We were buying and holding. Finally, we did sell and we actually did make a profit on it because it has gone up quite a bit since then. But I'll tell you, there's just a lot of energy that was expended in that one little, you know, emotional decision to get in the market and show those terrorists that, you know, hey, we're Americans. We believe in our, you know, (laughs) in our economy. We're going to, you know, 
fight by putting our dollars to work in the market. So you learned not to invest in single stocks. What's one other piece of advice that you followed initially, then later decided wasn't for you? Oh, um, it was credit cards. Um, I've decided that credit cards are not for me. Uh, it could be a very dangerous thing in my hands because I, you know, people who listen to my show or listen to me talk, they think I'm a big planner and every penny is accounted for. And it is, and it's not easy for me. I could easily just go out there and buy stuff just because I want it. If I ever walk into a Best Buy, I have to purposely go way around the Apple products because I know if I, <laughs> if I go anywhere near it, you know, it's kind of like that, that, oh, you know, the aura that shines and the shiny laptops bring me over to the area and I start playing with these new gadgets. Um, so I decided, and it wasn't like one day it just came to me, but I, I had stopped using them. We had gone to cash for a couple things and debit card for most things and online billing for, you know, the things that you don't pay for, you know, when you don't go outside the home, you know, electric bill and cable bill, all that stuff you can do on online billing. I just stopped using them. I realized after like six months, I'm like, why do I have these? What, what are they doing for me? And, you know, we could talk about the whole credit score and, and thing like that. But I just decided, you know, I'm not using it. I'm cutting them up. And then a couple of weeks later, I decided, well, I cut them up. I may as well cancel the accounts. Why deal with identity theft problems if the account gets compromised? And I haven't had a credit card. I haven't used a credit card, personal use or business use since 2000, I want to say seven. And uh, probably cut them all up by 2008. In the money story, you said you got married in 2000. Did you guys get into credit card debt early in your marriage? Uh, I think each of us, you know, we might have had a little bit of revolving credit here and there. We used our cards and we, you know, quote unquote, used them responsibly by paying them off every month. So it wasn't a big, heavy deal. I think we did get into maybe about two or 3000 at one point. But uh, I'll tell you what, you know, some of the housing expenses that were coming up, I'm glad that we stopped because we would have easily started financing we did a kitchen remodel in 09. Uh, we just got all of the windows replaced in the house. And that was 7500 bucks. That's all, that's all been paid with cash. But if we hadn't made that decision early on to save up for those types of things, and we wouldn't have got as much of a deal either if, we, if we'd financed it, then we'd still be paying on some of those. So you don't sound, and this is a compliment. This is not an. Uh, this is not a uh, an insult. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound like that radical of a story, though. From at least from what you described to me, you sound like you and your wife were just normal, typical people, not necessarily irresponsible, but but you weren't deeply in debt. How did you wind up, you know, getting involved with the Money Plan SOS anti debt movement? It's a passion. I feel like there's a mission. Um, you know, if, if people listen back to, I think it was episode 61 of your shows when we had the conversation about, you know, Dave Ramsey's advice. Mm -hmm. Um, and was he the influence originally for you that made you start paying more attention to money? Yes. Uh, awesome. I guess, let me, I guess, let me start with that piece of the story is I was working for a company and it caused me to travel a lot by car. So I was driving around and this is back in 03 or 04 and before iPods, before podcasting, I was just flipping stations on the radio came across the station. I heard the DJ talking out uh, to a commercial break. It was over a song by the Rippingtons. And I thought, oh, I like the Rippingtons. That's cool. I'll wait through the commercial break, and here's a station I might want to listen to. The DJ came back on, and he was talking over a song by Heart, Barracuda. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a really cool variety show. Turns out it wasn't. It was a talk show, and it was Dave Ramsey. It was this crazy guy yelling at his audience. And I thought, well, this guy's nuts. He's saying everything contrary to everything I've, I believe about money. 
you know, I've been told to use credit cards responsibly, keep the mortgage because of the home interest deduction. And I ended up challenging everything that he said and found out that he was right. And I was, I was like, you know, this is information that I had never heard anywhere else and it needs to be spread around. So I started, uh, well, my wife and I then, of course, got on the plan. We, we got through uh, the emergency fund, paid off the consumer debt by 07, which was uh, the majority of that was an SUV that we had financed in 06. And we paid off in 07. Uh, I've been debt-free since then. Have emergency fund, all that. Started retirements, or, you know, started more in retirement savings. Good for you. Yeah. So we, really, it was once I started to learn how all those pieces fit together that, okay, this makes sense for me. And like you said, normal, simple, average American guy. We never got into huge student loan debt. We never got into huge credit card debt. We never had, I can't say we never had, we had a $20,000 car loan at one point in our life. That's, that's a big car, you know? So, you know, we, we, just, we just decided to make choices that were better. And it's funny how you make those choices eight years ago and today you look back and you're like, wow, you know, that was some of the best choices we ever made. So you're completely debt free today. Paid off, paid off the house too. No, we have eighty five hundred left. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's exciting. <laughs> we've started paying a little bit ahead. We've had some other things come up, and that's another reason why I like the process that we're going through. Is because we could put everything we want towards the house, but then that would keep us from doing some other things, like you know, taking a family vacation or paying cash for those windows. Those things came in place first, and so you know, there's a process. There's a a step-by-step thing that we've kind of gone through and it's very it's very comfortable it's very easy to understand and so we're not suffering we're not starving uh and you know at any any rate so what's the first moment that you remember when you looked at your wife and you said man i'm glad that we started paying more attention to our money oh the first time i you know i honestly don't remember a moment um i will uh, let me let me share this story because i'll tell you this is one of those that that it, it, it's it's one of those after effects of getting out of debt. We went to a friend's Fourth of July celebration. They have this farm area. There's a log cabin. Uh, it's then on the other side of this creek. There's a pool. It's all open area. Um, we sat down and they were going to shoot off some fireworks. Well, they were on this one side of this hill, and then you have a walkway, and there's this chain link fence that is you know surrounds a creek. You walk over the short bridge to get to the other area where the pool is. And we sat underneath a tree. We're behind people. So we figure this is a really safe place just in case. And it just started getting dusk. And they're shooting off some of the kid fireworks and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, there's this flash and my daughter's laying on her back. Wow. We're like, what, what the heck just happened? Right. And we're freaking out because she's laying on the ground. And, and, of course, she's scared. We, we didn't know what happened. It ended up that there was a firework that they shot off. It fell off on its side. It shot down the hill, went through the chain link fence, went between all these other people who were behind and hit my daughter in the chest. And had it been six inches higher, this would be a different story. But thank God she's okay. It was one of those army men with the parachutes. Mm -hmm. Thank God it was that. Why am I telling the story? Well, it was a week later that I was telling the story to my best friend. And it was that, as that moment, I realized, you know what? We didn't worry about the money thing for one second. I know that sounds cold, but when you're in the heat of the moment like that, you're, all your attention needs to go on your daughter. That's it. And I don't know about you, but I think for most guys, 
you know, that's going to be in the back of our minds. Oh my gosh, how much is this going to cost? Do we have the money for that? Well, we were already out of debt. We had a huge emergency fund. So if we had to call the flight for life, you know, bring it on. It didn't matter because this was our daughter. So we were in a different place because we had made those choices. We were debt free. And I didn't have any of those distractions about money going on in my mind at the most important, you know, minute, two minutes of our life right there. So that was a, that was a big moment of realization of, you know, hey, what we've done is really smart. Why did you get involved in coaching? I think we needed to dispel a lot of the rumors out there that, uh, you know, the common pieces of advice that come across as this is the way that you do it. And there needs to be a more cohesive plan. I, I, you know, I like what you do and it's, you say we need to take each person's situation individually. You believe that, right? With all your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. I do too. But I also know that there's the average American who needs just a simple blueprint it doesn't have to be this complex thing. Just a simple blueprint, and then you can make you know fine-tune adjustments on the way. So I decided I needed to go in and start to offer to sit down with people one-on-one, go through their specific situations, their finances, what their goals are, walk them through this simple path. And you know what I do isn't that complicated. I walk people through how to manage their checkbook. You know this isn't investing. I might educate them on how to, you know, what kind of insurances would work best for them, but I'm not an expert. I just, I say, okay, if somebody talks to you about whole life, you need to know about this. You need to know about these alternatives. So I, I got into coaching just because I wanted to help people to make those, those better informed decisions with their purchases, with their investments, with their insurance, even though I don't sell investments in insurance. I'm not qualified to sell investments in insurance, and I'm, I'm happy about that. I do think simplicity is incredibly important for change. I have a real disease of uh, my, some people have a tendency towards overaction and undereducation. My bent is toward overeducation and underaction. <laughs> so yeah. I have to be very conscious of that. And I recognize that it limits my effectiveness at being able to accomplish change in other people's lives. A simple roadmap is incredibly important for people to follow. And it's more it's better to have a simple plan that that you work that follows than to have the perfect elaborate complex plan that's so overwhelming that you never actually get started. And so I'm very thankful for example, I'm very thankful for Dave Ramsey in the financial space or other people in the health space that just some, or, or any area of life improvement that just simply say here are five steps, do one, do two, do three, do four, do five. Uh, because that can help people to go from not doing anything to doing something. I don't actually think that I'll ever have the kind of impact, at least with unless I change my message, I don't think I'll ever have the impact that a guy like Dave Ramsey has with his simple message because I won't come into place when somebody is going from out of control to uh, in control. What I think is people like him will be able to help somebody take those first steps and kind of where I see my discussion fitting in is almost when people are ready for another level. When you've mastered some basics from whatever philosophy, and I'm philosophy agnostic when it comes to uh, financial management, once you've mastered the basics and you're ready to go up a little level and uh, I guess you know, level up as they say, 
then I think that's where my content fits in. So I'm very conscious of that. Uh, and my hat's off to those who can just simply lay out a simple plan and not see all the flaws in it because all I can yeah. see is all the flaws in it. <laughs> well, when you boil it down, you know, you, you live on less than you make and you do something smart with a difference. Well, the smart with a difference piece is where the investing and stuff comes in. And that's where you've got a lot more knowledge in the area than I do. And I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about um, annuities, you know, things like that. So, Don't worry, there's no one that knows everything about annuities. <laughs> there's yeah. not a single person <laughs> in the world. So I want to move to, though, the story of your entrepreneurial journey. As I understand it, you're no longer working for a salary. Is that right? Exactly. How, yep. long, how new is this change? It was March of 2015, so it's just three months ago. And what are you doing now? Uh, I'm, I'm working on coaching. It's the financial coaching was the basis of it, but I've also, I, it's funny. I, I get more requests on Facebook from people in the podcasting space than listeners to my show. And I've been doing the show since 2010. You mean uh, for coach, interviews, requests for interviews? No, no, to be friends. Just, just people who want to reach out and, and contact. And so I've, I've built somehow, I've, you know, I've been coaching since 2007. I lodged the podcast in 2010. I really started getting involved with the podcasting space as far as podcasters and encouraging them to do their own shows a couple of years ago. Not as, you know, I'm going to put myself above Cliff Ravenscraft or anything like that. Just, you know, hey, I'll encourage you, help you. And I've had more people come out and want my help in the podcasting space. So I'm tying those two together. It's coaching in general, financial coaching one-on-one, but it's also podcasting, which is really, really interesting. Let's stick with financial coaching to start mm-hmm. with, and I want to cover two aspects of it. Number one, I want to cover the actual help that you give to people because I do have listeners who are new and they're saying, okay, I'm a little out of control with money. Where do I start? And then I want to flip to actually the business of coaching because I have a number of listeners who are uh, following the path of becoming financial coaches themselves. If I come to you as a coaching client, what's the, what are the initial stages of your advice to me as a money coach? So you're the client, I'm the coach. First of all, of course, we have to figure out what your situation currently is. We talk about debt load, talk about income. I want a very basic idea of the types of insurances that you've got, uh, you know, coverage for health and life and disability, things like that, auto, home as well. Once we get that idea of where you are, then we can start to sit down and say, what is it that you want to accomplish when we're done here, whether that's, um, you know, a day, a week, a month, a three-month plan, whatever. And, and that's where we then have to decide, okay, how do we take this income here and drive those purchases, the spending, towards hitting those goals? You know, if it has to do with, you know, cutting the, educa- uh, the um, education, excuse me, that's a good one to keep, uh, entertainment, <laughs> uh, cutting the entertainment. And I'll, I tell you, we have a, we have a problem here with, with cell phones and cable bill in this house. I think we spend too much. Um, it doesn't seem like enough for what we pay, but it's, it's, you know, it's what we use. And so how does that help us reach our goals? Well, we have other things we can do. How about the client that I'm working with? You know, are, is their cell phone bill more than they need? Or is it appropriate? Uh, somebody who wants to eventually become a fitness trainer, well, they should probably have a gym membership and go into a gym once in a while. So I'm not going to tell them to cut that out. That's not going to help them reach their goals. That's the type of things that we have to look into while we're sitting and doing the coaching process of, okay, you're getting this income. Where does it need to go? And, of course, I, I walk through a, a process of budgeting that I think is different than anywhere else, and it just boils the process down 
to one sheet and it puts everything on there and, and, and it shows your heart. It shows your priorities. They come out in the discussion where some people are like, oh, yeah, that is more important to me than I thought. Or, oh, I thought that was really important, but you're right. The, you know, this needs to be above that in our prioritized list. I'll share with you one of my observations. I think that the concept of railing against people who are out of control with money for spending too much money on cars is quickly going into the ground. There are certainly many people who uh, spend quite a bit of money on cars, but I don't think that's the most damaging thing facing most of our uh, financial lives. It's not necessarily for many of us. It's not the, the biggest appreciating asset. I think the, what's replaced that is phones and electronic gadgets. If you were to go into the life of the average, I'll just say 20 to 30-year-old, let's just say early millennia, uh, uh, millennials, uh, if you were to look at the amount of money that my generation spends on a $1,000 phone every couple of years, $600 phone, $700 phone, an iPhone, an iPad, you know, a MacBook or, or other uh, you know, Windows laptop, whatever it is, and you were to put all of that together and figure out the depreciation costs, my generation is we're driving at a lower rate as far as the number of us who have driver's license. We're getting driver's license later, and the cars that we drive are not quite as expensive as they once were. And that dream that used to be in the culture of, okay, I'm going to be 16, and now I can go ahead and get my own car, and I'm defined by my car. Most of us aren't defined by our cars anymore. But that doesn't mean that the marketers haven't <laughs> been able to sink their teeth into our budgets. <laughs> Yeah, some people's cell phone bills. Some people that sounds so horrible because it used to be you. me too. We, we we've cut ours down recently, but um, you know, you're talking about a car payment. Mm -hmm. You'd be driving your your phone because it's like a car payment. I agree with that, and and it's funny how you know ten years ago a monthly cell phone bill was what thirty bucks for a hundred minutes. How that has changed to five times that, and. You can make phone calls and text all you want. It doesn't cost you a penny. It's the data, which is just, you know, it's just an internet portal in your hand. But we pay for that right. And I, I love it. I enjoy it. I find it hard to give up. <laughs> and I'll, I was just going to say, but flip it around, even though I'm aware of the cost, uh, I wouldn't give it up. Because if you look at the sheer number of things that you can do that enhance your lifestyle, yes, communication, but also being able to run your business from anywhere. I remember when I was on my honeymoon, uh, see, three years, three or four years ago, I was a financial planner at the time, and I was sitting on the beach in the Dominican Republic and sitting in a little, you know, a little hotel in Haiti with my wife, and I could just log, grab my phone, take about ten minutes, answer my client emails, forward stuff to my assistant, kind of just handle things in about ten minutes, and go on with my life. And if you look yeah. at the sheer flexibility of mobility that is available, and then you take and add on the ability of just the ability to enhance your life with the sheer massive volume of education and inspiration that's available free on demand. Uh, if I were starting out flat broke, one of the first things I would be doing would be getting an appropriate mobile device and getting started because I couldn't replace. When I think back to the thousands and thousands of dollars that I spent on CD audio learning programs and I were to compare that to what's available to me now, I, it's a it's a it's a good deal if used productively to advance mm -hmm. you towards your goals. So back to the well, the, you know, I'd like to I like to jump on that one more time because, like you said, if I was just starting out, what is the one thing that people always say you need to do in business is to network. Mm -hmm. And I really, I mean, I can network with anybody anywhere, Facebook, Twitter. There's other things that you can use. So 
if so I can't discount the fact that this this little portal here, this little phone, the iPhone, is letting me talk to anybody anywhere at almost any moment's notice. And it's a lot easier to do it that way than to try and find their phone number, find when they're available to take my call, things like that. So there is a value to that, but I guess we have to weigh out you know, how much of a value is that compared to what we're paying on a monthly AT&T bill. Yeah, the sweet spot is just go about a year behind everyone else. And if you just stay a year behind everyone else, then prices drop. You, I mean, right before iPhone 6 came out, you could get an iPhone 5 for like a buck or, or it was a buck or 99 bucks, whatever. But the prices plummet uh, in value and you can go ahead and as long as you just stay about a year behind, you're close enough to be able to take use of most of the stuff that's going on, but you're not on the cutting edge where you're taking the biggest hit on depreciation. It's funny. That's exactly what we did. We went and get, our, our contract was up, so we're on a month to month for a while. We decided, okay, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the battery on my phone was was dying because I use my phone a lot, mm-hmm. so it was getting low. We needed we needed hello needed to upgrade my daughter <laughs> from a LG Touch, which had the the buttons. You know, it wasn't a touch screen. We wanted to upgrade her for her Christmas gift. So in November, we went and picked up new phones, and it was right after the six was announced. We could have gotten sixes. But we decided, you know what, we don't need it. We're going to stick with the 5S. So my wife and I both got 5S's. Nice. And my daughter got, I think it's a 5C. It's a lime green for a dollar. How, how do you beat that? So there is that initial cost up ahead, but it really it is the data that, that we have to be more conscious of and how much data you use. Right. Uh, going forward, yeah. And the cool thing is, as soon as I'm finished with this interview, though, I'm actually interviewing a guy who has been homeless for nine months. and uh, But yet, it, during that period of time, he's building and has built uh, a web business. But somebody gave him a smartphone, and he's just taking advantage of the free Wi-Fi and literally running a web business uh, without owning a home and without having any data connection. So wow. It's going to be a cool story, uh, and I'm looking forward to bringing it to the audience. But it illustrates, I think, just the amazing opportunities that are available that have never been available, regardless of how you actually have to do them. If I were going to do it over, uh, if, I, you know, if I lost everything, I'd be down at the library. I wouldn't go back to traditional business. If I lost everything, I'd be down at the library um, typing out blog posts on the library computer. Uh, I'm going to check out my local library system here. I don't have uh, my computers are woefully underpowered to do any kind of media graphics, but I just got noticed that one of my local libraries has established uh, a big uh, computer system, a bunch of fancy, I think a bunch of fancy, fancy Macs that have all of the audiovisual production stuff on them. So I'm going to go and kind of try see if I can make a video or something uh, on their equipment. And those opportunities exist today that for with a throwaway phone <laughs> and <laughs> access to the library, you can set up something uh, even without uh, an established home base and even without the uh, even without uh, all of the things that we come come to know and love. The advertisement, that the flyer that I got from my library actually advertised podcasting as one of the things Ooh. you can do. And I'm going to go check out and see kind of what their setup is with microphones and computers that using the public library, you could go and establish a, an audio podcast all using their equipment. That's crazy. That's cool. I wonder if they have a, a little room for you in the sound booth or something. I'm That's gonna, fun. Yeah, I'm going to go check it out. Uh, so back to the business story. Uh, so we talked a little bit about where you would start, and I like that starting point. And obviously, coaching then becomes intensely focused and personal. Now, with regard to developing the coaching business, what's worked and what hasn't? And have you actually made money enough to support yourself doing financial coaching? 
Uh, the quick answer is no, <laughs> and that's very disappointing. Uh, again, I've been building this business for years on the side, and when the opportunity came to leave the full-time job, it really was the best choice for me and the company I was working for. Uh, I, I knew that was the place I needed to go. I think this is a story that's still being written. I don't think it's – I think we're still kind of at the beginning, which when I look back, I'm disappointed because like, you know, I've worked so hard – to build a name for myself and to show people my heart and they, they can anybody can go to my website and just hear you know who I am from listening to any of my episodes maybe that's my problem <laughs> but but yeah it hasn't quite transitioned to that yet so I'm still wondering if that story is being written um, you want to know what what has worked I think is what your question was yeah that, I'm gonna rephrase the question though tell me the story that, of transformation in the co- client's life that that has most impressed you. Keep obviously their personal details private, but describe the client and the the change that happened because of coaching that for you has been the biggest encouragement where you said, wow, look at, look at what this person was able to do with some good coaching. Uh, you know, it's funny. We talk about money and financial coaching, but it really turns out to be how the relationship has changed. Uh, there's a couple I still keep in touch with who, uh, the husband was going to be laid off at the end of the school year. So he had a few months notice they were deeply in debt. They were arguing. And in fact, they were arguing when we met. We actually met closer to where they live. We met in the St. Louis Bread Company, which is a Panera Bread in other areas of the country. And we were sitting there, and, and the conversation got heated. And Between I, them I ca- or between them and you? Between them. Yeah, I guess. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. Between them. You know, it was one of those, you know, she was pointing at him, he was pointing at her, and it was getting a little bit loud and stuff, and I kind of try to calm him down and I, I explained something. I, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember walking them through something to show them that they're going to be okay. It's not going to be easy, but they're going to be fine as far as feeding the family and getting gas in the car, you know, getting them to the basics and something clicked and the wife's face changed. Her shoulders dropped and all of a sudden they just kind of looked at each other and they high-fived, and it was the weirdest thing. <laughs> it was such a weird turnaround, and I still keep in touch with them today you know, via social media. Um, you know, Is life great for them? They still have a lot of problems that they have to deal with financially, but they're still together. They have a newborn. Tell me that doesn't happen. You know, you know, marriages are resolved. Marriages stick together. That, that, that's probably very, very powerful uh, right there. You just look back on that and say, I think something that I did there fix that or help to solve to uh, save that marriage why do you think the business model hasn't worked to the point where i don't know of anybody that probably has a bigger footprint as a budget coach you've got uh let's see you probably you've done you probably i think you're a dave ramsey certified coach right or certified technically counselor. no okay. no i went got training were? from them okay. but no that model doesn't exist anymore but people who used to go there did okay. so so but, but my point is you you've done you've 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 got you've you've learned some things. You're not just hanging out a shingle without having studied yes. anybody else's plan, but yet you haven't been able to build a, a full time business exclusively on financial coaching. Why not? What hasn't worked? Uh, there's going to be some things in here we could talk about. I don't know how to close. I don't know how to make the sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true. I, I I just like to give, and I, I know that causes me to not ask for the sale properly. So there's that. Uh, there's no advertising my show, you know, so I'm starting to change some of that to, to kind of show that, hey, you know, I'm available if you want to get one-on-one coaching. And really, I think the business model for coaching now has to, it, it doesn't exist on one-on-one coaching. A right. lot of the 
well, a lot of the income that I'm getting is coming from affiliate sales. Uh, there's opportunities when you go and do financial wellness speaking at businesses because businesses, they will have the money to develop their employees, to help their employees. I mean, look at the whole health wellness thing. Eight years ago, that didn't exist. And now you're just beginning to hear about financial wellness. If you can help somebody with their, with their, with their health and you can see the monetary impact on that, why wouldn't a business want to do that for their finances? Because the finances are what are taking them away from being productive at work. They're worried about the money thing. They're taking off extra time. Uh, you know, the sick days, we, we found in studies that sick days are reduced once somebody has gone through some kind of financial coaching or financial wellness classes. Um, other studies have shown that the most common, uh, the most, uh, I guess the time, what am I trying to say here? People check their bank accounts the most on Monday at 8 a.m. And they're doing it usually 8 a.m. is the beginning of a work day. So what does that tell you about people are worried about their finances? Right. So as far as why is it now working one-on-one coaching, I think that business model for me hasn't worked because uh, I have maybe maybe it's because Joshua Sheets has all this wonderful information <laughs> on radicalpersonalfinance.com. He's stealing all my business away from me. Uh, <laughs> well, it's the reason I'm pointing it out is is simply because it's a common theme. So I've received so many inquiries from people. Uh, who want to be financial coaches. They don't want to be financial advisors. And so because I've received so much personal correspondence, I'm sure that there are other listeners. I wanted to talk about your experience. I think the reason it doesn't work is because you're trying to help people who are broke, who by definition don't have any money to pay you for your help. And the fact that they're broke is indicative of the fact that they're not proactive about going and seeking out help. So the only way that I can see that it's possible to serve people who are broke and not proactive is on a mass basis. Mm -hmm. So the way that Dave Ramsey has on where you've got a free radio show and then the next step supported by advertising and then the next step there is a $10 book and then the $10 book and the free radio show might do a good enough job to help someone to not be so broke and to inspire them to say, I need to search out some information. And then at that point in the process, then they can afford to hire somebody for help. And I don't think it's necessarily, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to be very frank about the situation, but that's the, that's the reason. It's hard to get rich selling services to people who can't pay you very much. So if it's about personal enrichment and building a business where you can earn a lot of money, uh, your best bet is to work with the people who are the wealthiest. And that's why we have this incredible skew in the financial advice industry where the majority of financial advisors are exclusively focused on uh, or planning to be exclusively focused on serving the affluent. So the higher your balance sheet grows, the better advice you get access to and the more competition there is for your business. The lower the costs go, the more competition there is, the higher the service, which is really, really weird because those are the people who frankly don't need so much help. It's the broke people who need a lot of help mm -hmm. and who are being preyed on by uh, scummy people selling scummy crap to them. And so the only way that I can see that we can change it is with information. Unfortunately, when working in the, in the bottom end of the market uh, income-wise, there are reasons why people are there that aren't a character deficiency. There are people all throughout the world 
who are in very difficult circumstances. They're people who have faced unfortunate events that have wiped them out, everything from the failure of a business to dropping out of the workforce to care for a loved one. Uh, you know, uh, money and its accumulation is not uh, an indication necessarily of a character deficiency or a character virtue. It might be one indication, but it's not the only thing. But the problem is uh, the, the information is out there for free, but really without just some basic limited personal interaction, it's hard to figure out how to access those, those customers. The information is sitting there on the internet and the information has always been available for free. And those who are proactive about getting it, uh, who are proactive about going down to the library and starting to read the books on money and, and talking to people that, that have money, they're the ones who change over time and are able to access the services of a financial advisor. Uh, but unfortunately, the people who most need the help oftentimes just don't go and seek it out. Oftentimes, sometimes the fattest people are the ones who are the least likely to go and talk to a nutrition coach or go and talk to a nutrition expert. And you look at somebody who's an Iron Man, <laughs> and you think, here's this person, they're reading every book they can on exercise and nutrition, and they're consulting coaches, and you're saying, you don't need it, you're an Iron Man. <laughs> but the reality is, it's that character quality of that thirst for information, thirst for coaching, that's what's driving them to success. And, you know, here, you know, Joshua, the fat slob over here in the corner, he doesn't want to pay anybody to help him with his, uh, help him with his weight problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think we all have our, our, our desires and our dreams and what we want to focus on. Uh, what, what I guess one of the problems is, is when we get out of balance with some of those other things. We talk about, you know, work-life balance, those types of things. If you work a lot, then your family life suffers, though your finances might be okay. But then if your family life suffers and you get divorced, now your finances fall apart as well. There's got to be a little bit of a happy medium there. If you don't focus anything on your finances, it, you're never going to get control of, of the money thing. And the money thing is that great equalizer of purchasing value from somebody else. If I have money in my hands, I can buy value from somebody else. And whatever that is, it could be food. It could be a restaurant experience. There's two different things. It could be a gadget or it could be something that I need to fix my car. They're two different things. But the money is exactly the same. If I can't keep that money coming in and spending that wisely, then I'm not going to be able to get that car repair when I need to. And so we, we, we limit our choices then by not managing that money properly. So, yeah, you're right. If, if people aren't seeking some of that knowledge and applying it to their lives, they will find themselves without those options. And that's where I think a lot of our... Our culture is lost on it. Even the ones who make some good money get lost just because of the debt loads. Yeah. It's the most frustrating thing, I think, for, for social, uh, uh, what's the right word for it? Social scientists, uh, so, sociologists, uh, I guess maybe that's the right, I, I'm not sure, the, for the name for the academic discipline. But everything seems to go together. Uh, people talk about the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. <laughs> I think the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and also the rich get richer and they get healthier and they get happier and they get better uh, relationships and they get <laughs> just more fulfilled lives because it's primarily a character quality. That's what makes the, the biggest difference. I It's drilled into my head. I, I just love what, what um, Jim Rohn used to teach. He said, the point of accumulating a million dollars is not having the million dollars, although that's certainly fine. But the point of becoming a millionaire is to become the kind of person who accumulates a million dollars. And that's the ultimate worth of the million dollars. Yes. And it, 
I do everything I can, you know, here on the show to try to be an encouragement to a few the few people that will take action on things because the majority of people listening even to this show won't ever take action on the information, but some of them will, and each of us has an opportunity with our own circle of influence to be able to affect and encourage just a few other people, and then those people will affect and encourage just a few other people, and little by little that has a ripple effect. And so whether it starts in money, or whether it starts in health or whatever, it starts and then it moves on to other things. And little by little, we can affect people's self concepts and give them some confidence. And I love that it can start at the basic level of uh, running a budget and running a checkbook, or it can go at a very high level of whatever the highest level is that you or I would, would say. And then it has a ripple effect throughout life. I can add on to that. <laughs> I, stole, I stole your thunder. So uh, <laughs> forgive me. That's okay. uh, so on the coaching business, I didn't. I didn't want to make it sound like. Uh, I didn't want to make it sound like you're somehow a business failure. But I wanted to point out that where you are finding success is in the ancillary services. And go in just a little bit now into even the podcast business and describe how you uh, wound up even with that as being an expression of of your business work. Well, I decided back in 2010 that the podcast was going to be kind of what you were talking about, that first step to education for somebody. It was going to be a greeting card as well to let them know a little bit about who I was before they ever picked up the phone to reach, uh, reach out to me. That was the purpose of the show. It's kind of taken a life of its own since then. I, I have actually, and I, I don't know if I share this a lot. I know I say it a lot, but I don't know if I share it to my listeners. But I've, I've often thought about, you know, what am I doing this for? The, the show, technically, the show doesn't bring in any money. The money comes from the people who hire me as clients, which is funny because recently the clients I've been getting are not, are not Americans. It's weird. <laughs> and they didn't find me from my show. Maybe my show is ranking me better in Google and that's how they're finding me, but it's not because of the podcast. So, you know, I keep thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> Do I need to rebrand, relaunch? Uh, you know, it's still a big question mark. So um, I'm sorry, I've, I've forgotten what your question was. I've gone off on the another... The ancillary services that have been bringing in income and how they relate to the, to the okay. education. Well, if we look at, you know, the, the education piece was the podcast, blog posts sort of, though my blog posts are really show notes for the podcast. Um, and then there's a $25 budgeting program that I sell. It's a video course that I walk people through my budgeting process that gets them you know, from, from not ever starting or hating all budgets to something that they can really use. And that kind of introduces them into ways that they can spend more wisely, which then will get them more financially solid. They'll have that, you know, basic emergency fund and, and be able to live on less than they make. And then it builds into the coaching idea. Um, other things that I do are affiliate sales. Um, if I'm sure uh, at least a good portion of your audience has heard of, if not, if not using YNAB, which is a short acronym for you need a budget. And it's funny, I, you know, I was always a spreadsheet guy. And when I found out what YNAB really was, I was totally in love with it, totally on board with it and became an affiliate for them. So now when I mention it on my show, I'll mention a link that will get my listeners 10% off and, and then I get an affiliate sale for that as well. So there's affiliations that come through my blog, my podcast that also bring in a little bit of income. At least that covers a lot of the the business expenses, I guess you'd say, of you know hosting, and I, you know, I've got three different hosting programs: website, video, and audio. 
and that, that doesn't come cheap. So uh, let's see what else. Um, so the beginning is the free advice of the podcast, uh, the, the, a resource guide they can sign up for, which is free. Going to a $25 budgeting uh, school class, I guess you'd say, online, and then moving into the one-on-one coaching, which I think will really start to move the needle because there's that accountability piece when you know you're going to meet with your coach next week. Oh, I should be doing this. Otherwise, you know, Steve's going to yell at me type thing. (laughs) Was it, has it been, uh, you've been in the field of entrepreneurship now for three months. Uh, What was it like making that decision? It was easy. (laughs) Did you get, did did your job close out on you where the opportunity there at your job kind of ended and it made a natural transition or did you have to leave and get out of a warm bed and get into a cold, uh, into a cold room? No, let me. I guess I'll I'll walk through the story again. Um, before I met my wife, I was working for a company as an internal auditor. It involved some travel, but I was single at the time, so that was fine. Then we got married and and moved. Actually, I moved, and then I was chasing her to St. Louis, is where I ended up um, chasing her too. So I moved here, took a, a different auditing position with a different company, and it started out okay. It's twenty five percent travel, no big deal. Then it started to become fifty percent travel, and then it was. 80% travel, and it started to really become a drag on my health, my mental state. Uh, I'm not going crazy, but it's like when you sit in a car for four hours, uh, you know, hey, I can get caught up on Joshua Sheets' podcast. Great. Um, <laughs> four hours? You're going to need more but, than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't four It was four, you know, it wasn't four hours a week. Uh, and, then, and then I found out in, like, in December that it was going to turn into like 98% travel. It was just ridiculous. There was no way it was going to work for anybody. So I knew the writing was on the wall, so I was making, making changes uh, at that time. So it just came to a head right in the middle of March. I was waiting for the trigger to come as far as uh, there were, with, without getting into too many details, there was going to be a sale of an area to a franchisee. And when that happened, there was nothing for me to do locally. There was no way to keep me in town. So I don't even know if that's happened yet. But it just came to a point where it was just too much travel. It didn't make sense for anybody. So I ended up leaving the job, knowing full well that my heart, my passion, my desire, and from what people tell me, my talent lies in this coaching thing. And so oh, I guess I still have to figure out exactly where my place is. But I've seen people do very interesting things in niche spaces uh i've heard you speak of it before or maybe your listeners are familiar with cliff uh cliff cliff ravenscraft uh he's known as the podcast answer man what was he doing he was selling insurance and then he got into podcasting and then he decided i need to get into this thing more and he, he created a business around it then there's a guy named john lee dumas who came in and decided i wanted to make a podcast one, uh, you know, release an episode every single day, uh, and it's a 30, 38-minute interview, same eight questions, and sell advertising in it to make money. And he did that. Who, who teach, you know, what school do you go to learn that? There's no education in that. So there's places and people who find these odd things that they can then develop and, and they master it in some way, and they become the podcast answer man. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what I'm thinking I'm looking for is, is where do I fit into this grand scheme of, you know, uh, you and I, we attend the Financial Blogger Conference. There's hundreds of bloggers there. Where do I fit into that? You know, how, do I, how does my voice sound or resonate with somebody louder than somebody else's? Uh, 
Was the plan to start a business easier because of being debt-free except for your mortgage? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because right now we, we could survive on my wife's income. We could survive. Uh, it doesn't get us ahead in our finances, but we're not falling behind either. We still have an emergency fund. We're still debt-free. We're still headed, you know, headed towards that last payday of or payday that that last home payment. In uh, it's a half of a house payment in February 2016. That's not going to change. Um, it'd be kind of weird to change it right now. You know, if I had to refi $8,500 <laughs> for a smaller payment, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So, you know, we're getting by. We're fine. I don't look at that though as you know, why did I leave the job? So I could, my wife could support me? No, absolutely not. It was more of a decision because I feel like this is where I need to be. And from those people that I have connected with, networked with, you know, I'm sure you get the same feeling when somebody writes to you saying, Joshua, you know, I'm listening to your show and you've changed my life. Well, how do you put a price on that? No. The reason I was emphasizing that and kind of leading you there is because in my mind, this is this is the central benefit of debtlessness is flexibility and freedom. I'm not as uh, I, I'm not uh, a clear cut guy as far as uh, in terms of the way that many you know, I'm not like you as far as being very hardcore on don't borrow money. Uh, I'm not like others in that in that perspective. I look at it in the terms of borrowing money for investment purposes, for on appreci- uh, backed by appreciating assets, versus wasting money. Uh, it's always stupid to borrow money for stuff that loses value, and unfortunately, that's where the majority of people borrow money. If you go back and look, you find some businesses that start without borrowed money, but the vast majority start with borrowed money. But the problem with leverage is that even if used effectively, it has a reverse impact on your own personal financial life. And so even if you can use it to effectively build a business such that someday they put you on the cover of a business magazine talking about the many millions that you made, it puts an intense pressure on your personal life. And during those years where you're hustling and the bills are coming in and you're doing everything you can to get the business going, that is a very stressful time. But if we can just simply help people to avoid borrowing money from the beginning, and then we can help people to get out of debt uh, from wherever they are, then when the life transition happens, they find out this job is not working out, they're helped with that nice nudge out the door uh, based upon the decisions, then it frees them up. And no matter what they do, they're always free to, to pursue whatever the next thing is. And the stories that break my heart are when people crank up their lifestyle, especially cranking up their lifestyle with borrowed money, and then all of a sudden they suffer a business turnaround of some kind. And the stress that it puts their family in is, an, is immense. And for me, I just don't want to be in that situation because the impact of my life of having a, you know, an extra 10 or 20 million bucks after I'm already rich is not going to be that big of a deal. But the potential negative impact of being highly stressed in a stressful time in a business change or in an economic change, that's huge. And the freedom that comes with debtlessness, the freedom to change, the freedom to start businesses, the freedoms to pivot, the freedoms to build an ideal lifestyle, that's ultimately serving our daily life, which is the only thing really that we have to live is each day today. So 
in my mind, it's a bad trade to say I'm going to trade five years of misery and stress just to be the richest guy in the, in the business magazine. I'd rather have five years of low stress and not be listed in the business magazine but still be rich at the end of the day because today, once it's gone, we never get it back. Yeah, while you're saying that, I was, I was thinking of a um, – this might, might be taking us a little off topic, but I remember the other night um, – some people have, have said, Steve, you've got to watch The Prophet. And I'm like, The Prophet? What's that? It's a TV show. I'm like, oh, I don't need another TV show. Get away from the TV if I can. Well, guess what? I started watching it. And the other night there was an episode that was uh, you know, a couple ladies who started a, uh, I think it was EcoMe, some kind of a, a, a chemical-free cleaner. And they're saying, okay, what, what is your revenue? Oh, we bring in $500,000 a year. Okay. What is your debt? $250,000 a year. And their process, I mean, it was clear to everybody that their process for how they created the product, you know, packaged it and everything, all they needed was some equipment to make it go by. It was, it was a very manual process. And that would have immediately changed their profitability. But they weren't doing it because, well, they had that debt load already sitting there. So would you call that a successful business? I don't know. But had they not had that debt, they could have easily made some just, hey, let's get this equipment. And, and they could have really made a change in their business. But instead, they had to have, uh, you know, the host of the Profit uh, TV show come in and solve their problems for them. <laughs> Steve, last question. If you were going to give yourself some encouragement, uh, kind of wake yourself up a little bit, uh, go back to, you know, 2005. Sounds like that would be about a year to, uh, that would be, right, so 10 years ago. How would you encourage yourself based upon what you now know? That's a really good question, Joshua. I don't know. Let me think about that for a second. I would encourage myself. Uh, I guess the answer to that is, you know, if if I knew then what I know now type thing, right, is um, there are a lot of people in my life that are encouraging me, both in the professional and the personal sense. Uh, I've got some things coming together, actually, uh, uh, let me, uh, a little self-promotion here in August. Um, I'm going to be one of three, probably four guys who are going to be facilitating a one-day business conference or a business summit, I guess you'd say, in Indianapolis. And that's that's going to be really cool. It's something, again, I don't think the story has been written. So if I was to encourage myself, I think I would just have to say, um, as as shy as I am, people don't believe that. My daughter doesn't believe it one bit. I force myself to get on the mic and I force myself to talk to people because I see the value in that, not just for me and my benefit of talking to someone, but I think I can help them in some way, find out what their desire, their need is, and be able to help them. I would, I would definitely point towards that, making friendships, solid friendships, networking. Uh, you know, don't, don't hide in the house all day or something like that. Um, get out there more. I think that is the, yeah, that's the thing is getting out, shaking hands with more people, getting to know them more seeing what their needs are, see if there's a fit. Uh, just like in a sales negotiation, you know, where's that common ground? Where's that piece of, of the negotiation that makes it benefit both the salesperson and the person who's buying the product or service? So, yeah, the networking, the, the getting out and meeting more people. Had I done that back then, I think, I think we'd be in a different situation now. I'd probably be a couple of years ahead of where I am right now. MoneyPlanSOS.com, and you have, is it Yes You Can Podcast 2? Is that your site too, right? Yes. Yes You Can Podcast 2, and that's T-O.com. But 
I'm going to be moving all of that to my home base, which is stevestewart.me. Uh, but right now, that's where people can find me is moneyplansos.com or yes, you can podcast too.com. Okay, and give us a plug for your get out of debt course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a virtual budget coaching course. It's uh, twenty five dollars on moneyplansos.com/start. It's uh, six high definition videos plus some bonuses that walk people through my budgeting process in less than an hour. Awesome, Steve. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I value your friendship. <laughs> Take heart from Steve's story, eh? Notice the impact that getting out of debt and getting control over your financial situation can have on your life. Start where you are and just work continually day by day toward your goals. If you work hard on it year by year, well, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, then over time, you'll be able to take advantage of some of the opportunities that previously you never would have thought of being able to take advantage of. It's worth the work. It's worth the effort because in time, it really can pay off extremely well. I hope you're encouraged by Steve's story. Uh, thank you all so much for listening today. I really appreciate each and every one of you who is listening to the show. Uh, hopefully, if I'm able to do it, hopefully we'll have a Friday Q&A this week. Uh, I'd love to have your questions come in on that. So feel free to email them to me, Joshua at RadicalPersonalFinance.com, or go to the website and call them in on the voicemail line. i got a bunch of voicemail questions in the queue. Uh, sorry I haven't gotten one of those out in a couple of weeks with <laughs> new baby in the house. I haven't been able to do that. Those are uh, the most time-consuming shows for me to get those lined up and prepare my answers and do it in a way that's useful uh, for you. So I just simply have been able to get it done. Uh, but if you'd like to support the show, uh, please go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Sign up directly to support the show at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Got a bunch of bribes and incentives there listed out for you to incentivize you to do it. You can sign up with as little as a buck a month or as much as a couple hundred bucks a month if you want access to our private uh, mastermind call. Uh, also, this week we will be doing the uh, – in fact, this show will be tomorrow. Uh, this week we are doing the on Friday the Q&A for the $10 a month up supporters on Patreon. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, if you haven't subscribed yet as a $10 and up uh, per month supporter on Patreon, please go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron and there will still be enough time for you to get on to the monthly Google Hangout uh, where you can ask me your questions live and uh, live, and I'll do my best to answer them for you. So thank you all so much for listening. Be back with you soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app so you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your device for Radical Personal Finance and you'll find our free app. If you have received value from the content of this show, please consider becoming a patron. Your financial support is how I pay the bills for the show and how I plan to grow our content. You can support the show with as little as a dollar a month or as much as you feel the content is worth. Details are at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. If you'd like to contact me personally, my email address is Joshua at RadicalPersonalFinance.com or connect with the show on Twitter at RadicalPF and at Facebook.com slash RadicalPersonalFinance. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. But your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. Please, Develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them. 
because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please come by the show page and comment so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, thanks for being here. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.